ultimately the only real defensibility in our space is the brand and the consumer and the loyalty that you've built with them. And as long as you don't break that, there's no reason for them to move on to the next brand. This is the Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer, brand, and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Julian Steinberg is the co-founder of Alliance Consumer Growth, and together with Josh Golden, his partner, and their colleagues, they have built ACG into one of the leading consumer growth investment funds in the United States. They've literally uh, either currently invested in or have invested in some of the household names that we all know, ranging from Suja Green Juice to Shake Shack, Crave Jerky, Bark Thins, Harry's Shaving, most recently Herschel. Uh, Milk Makeup, Tata Harper, Lola, Clio, and the list goes on and on and on. And I'm really keen to hear from Julian about how they look at the whole industry, how they uh, back these companies that obviously there are thousands of them to pick from. What are the, the codes that they see? What are the, the, the checklists, as it were, that they really try to, to understand and, and look at and, um, and what they, what they want to see in founders? Um, so Julian is an um, incredibly wonderful guy. He's an old friend, and I can't wait to, to have this conversation. So let's get started. Julian, thank you so much for doing the safari. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to oh, be a member, well, to oh, be an, an a, a member of this now incredibly elite tribe. It's elite. It's a very elite tribe indeed. As everyone's heard already, and some may know, you have and Josh have done an incredible job with ACG Alliance Consumer Growth. Um, you know, you've had uh, a long history with brands. Uh, you've you love brands. You're sort of a student of brands, which I'm really kind of keen to get into with you on sort of what what's the makeup of a good brand and where it goes. Um, but how you know, talk about the background of ACG quickly and and uh, what f- you're on Fund 19 now, Fund 4. What is it? We're on Fund 4, but uh, 4 going on 19. Josh and I um, started the business in 2011, and it was really you know, uh, having seen and, and having had a thesis, um, that there was major disruptions happening across virtually every category of consumer. There were these consumer brands that were being disruptive and disrupting big major categories in a way, almost like technology and media companies were, but there really wasn't a firm that was set up to, uh, you know, really partner with these businesses and help them achieve their huge potential, uh, as minority investors in businesses that were growing, you know, 50, 100, 150% year over year, but maybe weren't profitable. And, you know, if you were the same, you know, type of business in technology and media, you had, 
you know, literally a line, yeah. a line out your door of, of venture <laughs> capitalists and growth equity partners uh, that were looking to help, you know, partner with you and 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 bring their ecosystem to bear to really help you, you know, achieve your success. And in consumer, there was, you know, there was really no one. And so, uh, and all the know, private equity guys would say, yeah, you're too small. And then, you know, you know. Or, or or they said, you know, proven really means five million dollars of EBITDA. And by the way, you know, we really want to buy sixty percent of the company. And so, you know, our view was, you know, the best opportunities in the world really self-select themselves for minority partners, because if you really believe your business can be 10 or 20 times larger in the next, you know, five to 10 years, you know, you, you want to sell as little of it as humanly possible. Yeah. And so you've had a front row seat at some of these wonderful brands, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have some stories to to talk about going through some, some of the history and some of the ones that are, are most interesting. I listed earlier a whole, uh, you know, arm's length list of some of the great companies that everybody knows. I won't do it again. But, um, you know, early on, though, when you were sort of starting out, I mean, I think Shake Shack was one of the one of the ones that sort of stood out and craved jerky and uh, crave uh, yeah, the, the beef jerky and Suja Green Juice, for example. Talk about um, Baby Gannix. Uh, talk about some of those at the, the early days and how you just chose them or they chose you or how what were some of the filters that you applied? You know, it, it was the same then as as it really is today in the sense that, you know, we're very thesis driven and, you know, we're looking for large categories that are undergoing major disruptions going from version 1.0 to 2.0 or even 2.0 to 3.0. And, you know, every one of those companies that you just mentioned really fits that description incredibly well. I mean, if you think about uh, Shake Shack, you know, Shake Shack wasn't in a process. It wasn't, uh, you know, there was really no actual investment opportunity um, in the business. We had just decided that restaurants was one of the areas that we were interested in. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we looked at the different categories and burger was by far the largest category in restaurants you know, $70 billion in North America alone. Um, and burger was clearly shifting to a better burger um, concept. So it wasn't that, you know, McDonald's and Burger King and then were, were going away. They're, they're, they're phenomenal brands and great businesses. But there was a whole host of consumers that were looking for, you know, just a better burger experience. And so there was a, there, there was a shift happening in those categories from kind of, you know, quick service type of burgers to more of this fast, casual better burger, better ingredients, better experience. And, you know, we thought hands down that Shake Shack was the winner of that shift. Yep. Um, and so they were our number one top priority target that we wanted to to invest in. And, you know, it took us a couple of years to build that relationship and find an opportunity to make that investment. Yeah, so you have to work to, to get there. Um, so, you know, I remember hearing you on, on a few occasions talking at your annual meetings about this notion of how the big conglomerates, particularly in CPG, have always needed to acquire their innovation. Uh, in fact, I think the example you gave once was that you know the only brand to sort of create a brand out of nothing was L'Oreal, and they created L'Oreal Professional. I think is sort of the and Kerastase. There we go. There we go. So that seems to have been going on, and and the, and the innovation is being acquired, and you've been the beneficiary of that uh, over the last uh, few years by people buying your businesses. But it, it seems as though you're also now looking at and are investing in other categories, uh, like Good American, for example, uh, is in the uh, apparel space. And do you think that the bigger companies, the conglomerates in, let's call it retail, uh, are mimicking uh, the CPG guys in trying to buy innovation? Or is it, are we seeing the beginnings of that? And was, yeah, we were, had uh, Matt Scanlon the other day in here from um, Nardum. And he was saying like, he doesn't understand why none of these guys are buying digital native brands. Well, you know, that's that's exactly why, you know, I think you've seen us, um, you know, recently make investments in Good American, which is an unbelievable brand and um, Herschel Supply Company, yep. apparel, accessories, uh, you know, those were, were 
were categories we've always looked in. It, it, it has a very high bar, just like, you know, really all of them. Um, you know, we hadn't made an investment in that category until we did Good American and then we did Herschel. And I think that's based on the thesis that we believe that there is, you know, a lot of disruption happening in those categories and the strategics haven't yet really started to, you know, have to acquire that growth and innovation, but we believe they will. How long, how long do you think that'll take them to wake up to this? 63 days. From now. <laughs> I, you know, um, it's, it's like, it feels like everyone's been waiting for them to wake up, but uh, anyway, we, we will see. Um, so you have, you know, there's a theme in some of the companies that you've invested in. I mean, if you look at Good American, which has, you know, inclusive or universal sizing, um, and you look at Tata Harper, which is a sustainable beauty company, and Milk Makeup, which is, has similar uh, tenants, um, the consumer the millennial consumer, the Gen Z consumer who are starting to really pay attention to these brands, the sort of the spiritual side of all this stuff. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's not rocket science. If you follow the consumer, you might get a good idea of what to do. But what are some of the threads of the sort of consumer behaviors that are driving these these brands that you've invested in? You know, I think the, the, the general, uh, you know, behavior that we've seen across all of our different categories is that, you know, consumers are just a lot more educated today. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously this huge generational shift that has happened. You know, it's been talked about to death, but, you know, obviously you know, the baby boomers were a big generation. Gen X was, you know, a pretty small generation. And then, you know, millennials are, are, are a giant generation. And in fact, even Gen Y coming after millennials is another giant generation. And between the two of them, they're, you know, over, you know, 50% of, of, of the population. And, you know, they've, they've grown up with a smartphone, and they've grown up with social media. And so just the the business models of legacy brands have 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 shifted significantly when, you know, all the natural barriers to entry to these categories has has broken down, whether it was, you know, national advertising as this like, you know, huge barrier um, that that used to exist. You know, today, you know, the the millennial and the Gen Y consumer don't really pay attention to it as much. They're much more interested in, you know, what are my friends or family recommending or my, you know, friends on social media recommending to me. And obviously that's broken down a big barrier. And then a shelf placement, right? So, you know, the the rise of e-commerce and direct to consumer has, you know, scared a lot of retailers into knowing that they have to have these younger, more innovative brands on shelf. And so, you know, what used to cost a fortune in slotting fees and things along those lines to get on shelf, you know, has been, you know, waived for younger brands because they're bringing in this younger consumer into the store and, you know, manufacturing, right? I mean, you know, once upon a time when you wanted to, you know, launch a consumer brand, you were probably building a factory, uh, you know, to, to do it. And, but, you know, the rise of contract manufacturing has really allowed, you know, many of these brands to really be sales and marketing and product innovation engines as yeah, opposed focus on to, what they're good at. you know, and, and focus what they're good at. So all those barriers broke down and, you know, the consumer, you know, can, can look up virtually everything about your brand and your company on their phone in 10 seconds today. And, you know, what they're craving for is, is, is better. Um, and better means different things to different people. It can be, you know, better tasting, better experience, better value, uh, you know. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I think that's really what, you know, it, it really, it, it all starts with the product. And, you know, what we're looking for are really brands that have, have built products where once the consumer tries them, they become raving loyal fans yep. and brand evangelists of it. And, and, you know, when you have that magic in a bottle, then you know what 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 we can be helpful with is the execution of how do you make that much bigger. Yeah. So w when you talk about um, the barriers to entry disappearing uh, or being lowered, 
Um, it also means that there are thousands of brands that are flooding the market in every single category, which makes your team's uh, uh, job uh, harder every day because there are more brands. The long tail gets longer and maybe deeper, but definitely longer. What are some of the things that you do to do the triage? How do, how do you think through um, how to how to find the brands, how to look for the brands, how to sniff them out without giving away the secret sauce, of course? Yeah, no, I think, you know, um, the secret sauce ultimately is um, identifying what the big disruptions are in the categories and then identifying who the real winners of that disruption are. And there's always, you know, lots of people that will copy and follow on. But typically the one, two and three winners of that disruption have a great outcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, brands four through N might be around in a small form as a privately held company forever. And so, you know, it's placing a giant premium on those brands that have the true authenticity, the true pole position, you know, because ultimately the only real defensibility in our space is the brand and the consumer and the loyalty that you've built with them. And as long as you don't break that, there's no reason for them to move on to the next brand. Yep. One of the things that I've always felt you've been really good at, you personally, Julian, is articulating how it is actually absolutely fair for someone in your position to approach a brand uh, with an investment and giving them the, the the value that they seek for their brand, um, but but also utilizing structure. And um, I, you know, I I often find that entrepreneurs uh, get spooked by the notion of structure. They feel like they're being hoodwinked or something. But you always talk about it in a very fair and and I really believe everything that you say on this subject because. It is fair if you're taking risk uh, and you're also seeking someone on the other side is seeking high value. There's got to be a middle ground. So talk a little bit about how you see the world through that lens. I mean, you know, we, we don't always use structure. I, I would say, you know, it, it's a tool that we use in, in investing businesses, especially when you're paying an incredibly forward valuation. Right. And, you know, valuations in our space on businesses that are growing 100 percent year over year and not profitable yet is much more art in science, right? And so, you know, really it's, you know, for us, it's about alignment more than anything with the entrepreneur. So, you know, what, what is success for for them and for us and making sure that we're both on the exact same page in terms of that, because the extreme example we use is, you know, if you want to leave this business to your grandchildren, then we're probably not the right partner. (laughs) You know, it's hard to see how that's going to, you know, work out for my investors, but, um, you know, um, but, but it, it, it's also, you know, you know, knowing that, you know, if you have a business that's doing 20, 30 million in sales, that could be doing 200 million in sales that, you know, that if that, you know, business is is sold for three, $400 million in the future, that that's a phenomenal success in, in, in CPG and in consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that entrepreneur feels that the only, you know, phenomenal success is to sell it for 2 billion, then we're not aligned. Yes. Right? Um, and so, you know, I think we, we use structure really to bridge you know, what are often very forward valuations, you know, really, you know, giving people the value that they deserve for what they've built and the huge growth opportunity they have, but also just, you know, protecting our investors downside. We'll be right back. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. 
And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. Yeah, so in many of the businesses that you have worked with, not, not in every case by any means, particularly not the CPG ones necessarily, but, but maybe on the more retail side, I've been direct-to-consumer and increasingly so. Uh, now many of these companies are you know, having to grow and they have to go international and they got to go into wholesale maybe. And, you know, Harry's, you know, went into Target, I think it was under your, when you were still an investor. Um, how do you see the strains of these companies moving outside of their comfort zone? They start in one area and then they have to become experts in another channel or another geography. What are some of the pain points that you see in companies? I'm not, you don't have to name anyone specifically, but yeah. there must be some themes about how people make mistakes or where they, they get strained as they go into new areas. Well, look, I think, you know, you, you bring up DTC. I mean, you know, uh, we were arguably late to DTC, but not not by accident, um, you know, because we missed it. We, we were late to DTC because, you know, for the first three, four years, there, there was a real belief by many companies that were born as digitally native brands that, they would never have to sell to third-party retailers, and we never believed that, right? So, um, you know, we believe that direct-to-consumer is a distribution channel yes. and can be a good one, um, but it is not um, It is not a business model. And I think that, you know, what we're looking for are brands that understand um, their consumers and reducing pain points for their consumers. So if it's easier for their consumer to discover or replenish their brand in Target or in Walmart, then that's where where they should be offered, right? You know, I think it's it's very rare that that brands and companies um, have been successful telling their consumers where and when they can buy their products. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that they, uh, the brands that is, uh, have a sort of a misguided notion of, of controlling the customer? They always say, you know, I want to be direct to consumer because I want to control the dialogue with my consumer. Well, I guess yes, you can, but you can have, you know. A small subset of customers, and you, yeah, have fun talking to them, but you're missing all these guys over here. Do, do they? Is there a sort of disconnect that some of these entrepreneurs? Have? So, sometimes there is, and you know, um, we, and once again, back to alignment. You know, we wouldn't invest in a company that felt that you know that was the only way that they could exist. Right? It was in this you know world where they had to own their customer 100%. Look, we're. I mean, nobody wants to have more information about our customers and be able to speak directly to them and you know, be able to really show them our brand and in. in in the way we want to more than more than us, but you know the the reality is in this omni-channel world, in a world in which Amazon exists, um, in a world in which retail isn't going away as fast as people say it is, um, you know, um, to get someone to go to your direct website to buy your product, you probably have to be offering them a something, lot of money, <laughs> some, or something differentiated, right? Yeah. And so you know, you know, you know, I mean, that can be a phenomenal subscription service or some sort of customization or, you know, that you can't get anywhere else. Um, and, you know, but it, it, I mean, otherwise, you know, it's, it's, it's probably easier to add it to your Amazon basket than it is to have to type in a whole new, you know, uh, you know, you know, web address and, you know, every time you want to buy something. Yeah. So you raised Amazon and Amazon even of late has been making heavy noises around coming into the premium end of the market. And you know, in fact, if you were to look around, you'll see there's you know, more than a half a dozen to you know, actually, no, about 12 to 15 brands that are luxury brands that are there today, and they're making noises about doing more. What do you think about um, the brand equities of companies that you work with, working with Amazon? And I guess, and I know it's case by case, but yeah. how do you see the Amazon thing, the Death Star, as some people 
look at it. Well, we, which we, I don't, we, we, you know, we, we don't think of it that way. You know, um, you know, you know, once again, I think, you know, we're very focused on the consumer and how the consumer wants to buy our brand and interact with it. Obviously, you know, um, Amazon isn't a perfect venue in order to discover brands. It's not a perfect venue in order to tell a brand story, but it's a great venue for someone to, uh, you know, replenish. Right. And so, you know, um, but it's also, um, you know, it's a challenge because, um, if you're not on Amazon for a lot of brands and, you know, once again, this is very category specific, but for a lot of brands, if you're not on Amazon, it's very difficult to control, um, your map pricing, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, as you guys know, I mean, you know, anyone can buy your product anywhere and put it on Amazon. So, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's on Amazon, whether they like it or not. Um, and so, you know, there are strategies for working with Amazon and controlling your destiny on Amazon so that you own the buy box, you own the customer experience, and you own the price. What are some of the shifts that you're seeing now that you're you know, paying attention to within either new categories that are emerging or new areas that uh, that are interesting to you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's, there's continued shifts across, you know, um, um, all of these categories. But I think, you know, you've seen, you know, big shifts in beauty, uh, you know, towards uh, you know, better for you, cleaner ingredients, things along those lines. That's been an area we've been playing very, very, very heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, you know, you know, we talked already about apparel and accessories as being, you know, I think, you know, in the early days and early innings of 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 big major disruptions and shifts that we're seeing. And what do you think of the marijuana space? Yeah, so it's a very challenging time right now in in cannabis because you know, I think I think you know the the way I would describe it is. Uh, it's 2001 in cannabis, right? It's, uh, you know, we had 1999 in the bubble, uh, you know, the last couple of years. And, um, you know, right now it's 2001. But out of that, you know, if you if you go back in history, right, you know, Google and Facebook were born in 2003 and 2005, right? And I think that the same thing is going to be true um, in cannabis. I mean, you know, more and more states are legalizing it for both recreation and, and, and medicinal. You're going to start seeing for the first time real national brands, um, across it, and so you know, you know, we 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 think long term, it's it's a real and important category. Uh, you know, there was a bit of euphoria around it over the last couple of years that, um, um, you know, and adjacencies to it. So you know, you know, you talk about CBD and things along those lines, but you know, those are yeah. So speaking of CBD, I mean, there's, there are two camps. I feel uh, even though if you looked in the world, you go into any any convenience store, I mean, it's the CBD everything everywhere all the time. Um, but there are two camps still, I think, in the industry of it's snake oil uh, or it's, you know, a panacea. What do you think about, you know, the CBD? Is, it, is, that, a, is, is that a craze as well? Well, I, you know, I, I think CBD is is a really interesting example. I, I was in L.A. six months ago um, and I was driving down Sunset Boulevard and I, and I looked out my window and there was a pizza store that said, we have CBD pizza. I was like... <laughs> I was like, we have reached peak CBD. But, um, you know, CBD is very interesting because wh- whether you believe it's snake oil or whether you believe, you know, it has real, you know, um, medicinal values, it's an ingredient. It is not a brand, right? So, um, and that, that's something that we're always very cognizant of. So, you know, we don't invest in ingredient-based businesses um, because ingredients come in and out of favor. Um, and, you know, um, the more efficacious an ingredient like CBD is, the more that you'll see other brands use it as part of their portfolio, but yeah. maybe not a hundred percent of it. So, you know, CBD only brands, I think challenging, 
But, you know, CBD as an ingredient, I think you'll see it continue to grow. So turning to the tips for entrepreneurs side of this chat, um, what are some of the things that you think uh, founders, entrepreneurs who are running their businesses need to do to lay the groundwork to um, accommodate companies such as yours, and there are others, uh, to come and actually help them be better companies, to invest in them? What what gives someone like you comfort? Forget all the, 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 the macro stuff. I mean, there are things that happen within the walls of a company that you one kind of needs to see. Um, what, what are some of those things that um, you know have caused others to stumble? Maybe. I mean, first and foremost, you know, for a founder, entrepreneur, management team. I mean, you know, I think authenticity is something you can't fake, right? So, you know, the most successful companies we've ever been involved in were people that were solving, you know, real problems that they had, um, and that you know they saw a real opportunity to fix by creating their business. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, people that are just jumping on a bandwagon, you know, it's going to be tougher, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, you, you have to really believe in what you do. It's hard enough as it is, um, you know, you know, to build these businesses. I, I think, you know, we're, we're really looking for, you know, founders and entrepreneurs that are, um, you know, very cognizant of what they're very good at and, you know, are, are you know, bringing in people that are better than them at everything else, yeah. right? Um, and, you know, really, you know, bringing in great leadership and talent and empowering them to, you know, you know, really help build their business. And so, you know, you know, we want people that are coachable, that are looking to learn, that are looking for help because that tends to be, you know, the traits for success. Yeah. Someone who's open. I, I agree with that. Um, the future the, for example, gaming, you know, we see the, um, the, the transactions happening within computer games, $50 billion industry today. Not many people actually know that out in the world. It's sort of a, unless you are a gamer, you don't know that. Do you see um, the, 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 the nature of brands changing as things get more digital? Um, do you think that every brand will have its cyber world, cyber view, cyber sort of incarnation or um, are they two completely separate things um, that, that, and by the way, the question really is what's happening in the future of digital and in your world and how, does, how it affects the physical brands that we all touch day to day? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's that relevant for, you know, the brands that, you know, that, that, that we've partnered with, um, you know, to, to the extent that they're lucky enough that, you know, they're well known enough that, uh, you know, a game wants to include that brand in, in their game in some way. You know, I think we would think of that as phenomenal marketing. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, more than anything. As opposed but might to, it be a place to advertise that? You know, I think, it, you know, we're, we're always looking for what the next, you know, um, you know, the, the, the next generation of great ways to interact with and, and, and educate your consumers are. And, and if that's in games in the future, fantastic. If it's, you know, on TikTok, great. If mm-hmm. it's, you know, you know, continues to be Instagram and Facebook. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what are the sort of sectors that are interesting to you? right now what are some some of the things that you're playing around with uh, at acg well i mean i think you know look we're you know the 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 sectors that we really like are you know um food and beverage and personal care and beauty and baby and pet and restaurants and specialty retail i think you know some of the things that we're looking for you know as you're seeing you know take retail for example Mm -hmm. right you know um you know i'm sure you've probably talked about on on some prior safari episodes you know some some changes happening in the retail really? environment what, 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 what are those <laughs> you know and I, you know i think look i mean you know if you're building a mall today or you know a mall owner right you know you know what are you looking for as your anchor tenant right you know 
20 years ago, it was a phenomenal Neiman's or a Nordstrom's, right? And that, that may be a little bit less so today. So, you know, today, you know, you're looking for, you know, something that's really experiential, right? So, you know, while five or six years ago, you know, we, we probably wouldn't be talking to you about big box experiential retail mm -hmm. today, right? You know, that's where probably what's needed to reinvigorate certain retail environments. So that's now exciting, right? You mm -hmm. know, um, so things along those lines are, are what we're looking yeah, that's great. So the, w one thing that people might not know about you is that you are a voracious reader of books. Uh, somehow you get it all in. Um, what, are you re what are you reading right now? What, what are books that you think are, A, maybe one business book that people should read or, or, or something else? You're a Churchill fan, I know, uh, McCullough fan. What, what are the books that you think are interesting today that people should know about? Uh, you know, I'm actually, I, I just finished a book called Love Your Enemies that somebody recommended to me today. Um, how to get over the culture of contempt, uh, you know, in uh, in America, and I actually thought, uh, you know, it 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 was one that um, really, you know, um, I mean, it goes well beyond politics or anything along those lines. It's just about you know how to really, you know, um, not let certain disagreements with people get in the way um, of you know you know um, fundamental values that you both might share, mm -hmm. but you just disagree on sort of how to get there. And if you get down to the what are the fundamental values that we both share getting to, you know, an, an agreement and, 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 and at least respecting each other becomes much easier. And that's as true in business as it is in anything else in life. Mm -hmm. Fundamental values. That's one. That's a perfect place to start. Julian, thank you so much for doing the Safari with me. Thank you very much. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.